So good to see you here with us today. Again, Zechariah chapter number 11 is where we're reading this morning. Continuing through this book, finishing up here in the next few weeks, but we're in chapter number 11 this morning. Being again reading in verse number 1. It says, Open your doors, Lebanon, so that fire may devour your cedars. Well, you juniper, for the cedar has fallen, the stately trees are ruined. Well, Oaks of Bashan, the dense forest has been cut down. Listen to the well of the shepherds, or rich pastures are destroyed. Listen to the roar of the lions. The lush thicket of the Jordan is ruined. This is what the Lord my God says. Shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. For by your slaughter them, and they go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. For I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone into the hands of their neighbors and their king. They will devastate the land, and I will not rescue anyone from their hands. So I shepherded the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staves, and I called one favor, and the other... Union and I shepherded the flock. In one month I got rid of the three shepherds. The flock detested me and I grew weary of them and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Then I took my staff called favor and I broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day. And so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. The Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. A handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Then I broke my second staff called Union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured. Feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. And this is the word of the Lord this morning. You know, one of the things you, you have to get used to as a parent is the uh, feeling of being rejected by your children. And when I mean that, I don't, or when I say that, I should say I don't mean rebellion or children just walking out of your lives and saying they don't want any part of you and, 
and whatever else the case and, and you know, never having any contact with them. Um, that's something altogether, and I know some of you have faced that, and it's a hard and painful thing to face. But, but what I mean is, is the simple idea that as your children get older, they, they begin to reject you and in in, in your care and your watching over them. And that's the goal, really. That's what we want. We want our children to become self-sufficient, self-sustaining individuals. And so we get used to the rejection. We allow our children to not allow us to hold them or, or feed them any longer. Okay, we get used to the idea that our children don't need you to make an airplane and stick the food in their mouth, okay? Hopefully you're not doing that to your teenager. We allow them to reject us as we pick their clothes for them and change them and, and we don't have to go to the bathroom with them anymore and and all this other stuff, we, 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 we get used to that. That's what happens. And eventually, eventually, I should say, they reject our own providing them shelter. And they look at us and say, I, I'm moving out. And, and they go off and establish their own family. And obviously, all of this is, is a good thing. Okay, society needs individuals that are self-sustaining and self-sufficient, able to care and be productive members of society. Okay, the idea that your 30-year-old son can't feed himself or work a regular job and take care of himself is not what you want. Providing your child obviously doesn't have any kind of special needs. Okay, and, and you remember last week when Paul and Shelley were here and and they mentioned that they were going to uh, Hong Kong and they left Wednesday to go to Hong Kong from Canada and were going to be there for two weeks. They said that they were leaving their 17-year-old son who's a senior in high school up there in Canada by himself for two weeks. And, and we asked our boys, would you like to do that? And guess what the aunt response was? Do we have to go to school? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, unfortunately, but... But the idea that, you know, you can't do anything to a full functioning adult, it's not what we want. And of course, as Christians, that's the way we are to be as Christians. Functioning, capable adults, mature, competent, complete, able to think well and, and understand and let God uh, guide us through the pages of His Scripture and, and, and mature, complete adults. The Bible talks about that. Ephesians tells us we are to grow up as adults. We are not to be tossed around like children with winds. Hebrew tells us that we are to move on from, from milk, from a diet of milk into the meat and the weighty things of the Word of God. And, and we are to grow up in Christ and be mature and complete. And so, the Bible teaches us that that's what we are to do as Christians, but yet at the same time, it is kind of paradoxical because the Bible teaches us that we are to always be children. We are to have the faith of a child. We are to come before God as a little child. And even worse than that, the Bible teaches us that we are really sheep. We are sheep in constant need of care and attention. Sheep that cannot function on their own. Sheep that need the leading and guiding of a shepherd. And we are to be 
God's sheep our whole entire life. And the fact of the matter is that there are times when you allow your child to reject you, if you would, if that's the right word, but there are times when you cannot, until they are capable and ready, allow them to go on their own. Okay, I'm perfectly fine with my 17-year-old son walking out the door and crossing Lehigh Street to get into the car to go home. Okay, he does not need my help or my permission. Does not need me holding his hand to cross Lehigh Street. In fact, what's going to happen this afternoon is he's going to hang around for a couple minutes and all of a sudden he's going to walk out the door and all of a sudden I'm going to be here by myself and I'll be like, well, everybody's gone. Let's turn off the lights and let's go home. And if he's still here, he's on his own. Sorry, dude, I ain't waiting for you. (laughs) But if you're here and you have a two-year-old child or grandchild with you, may I suggest to you that you do not allow that two-year-old child to cross Lehigh Street because I've been here several times. And Lehigh is a nice, straight, wide street. And if you turn off of 512 down Lehigh Street, you can get a good head of steam by the time you're coming in. Not that I have ever done that, and I have them, but trust me, plenty have. <laughs> and I hear or see them flying by at a very good rate of speed. You can't allow your two-year-old out on their own. And you see, a shepherd is not going to allow a sheep to wander off and feed themselves and protect themselves. A sheep is, is, that, that is worth anything is not going to look at the shepherd and say, I don't need you. Get away from me. I'm fine on my own. But the reality is, that is what we do to God so many times. We look at God who is our good and great shepherd. And we willingly reject His rule and His authority and His care in our lives. And you know what God does? Eventually looks at us and says, you know what? You want to go on your own. You want to reject me. You want to be on your own. Guess what? I will allow you to do so. And God allows us to go out and ruin our life. The reality is we don't need that to happen. God is there to care for us and to lead us and guide us. And my question for you today is this. If God is there wanting to lead and guide and watch over your life, what, what are you doing? Are you allowing the Good Shepherd to do that for you? Are you allowing the great shepherd to watch over your soul? Or are you looking at him and saying, I can do this on my own. I do not need you. Thank you very much. That's the challenge and the question as we get into this chapter this morning. So we begin to look here in Zechariah chapter 11 and we notice our first point this morning is this. We notice that there is a call. A call to lament. A call to lament, a call for weeping, for wailing, for lamentation to take place. And it's kind of strange when you read these opening verses because it looks like God is calling trees to cry and weep. Okay, I know we have weeping willow trees, but that's not what we're talking about here. 
Look again at verses 1 through 3. You read these words, Open your doors, Lebanon, so that fire can devour your cedars. Well, you juniper, for the cedar has fallen, the stately trees are ruined. Well, oaks of Bashan, the dense forest has been cut down. Listen to the well of the shepherd. The rich pastures are destroyed. Listen to the roar of the lions. The lush thicket of the Jordan is ruined, okay? Now we realize, obviously, trees are not capable of crying. They're not capable of weeping. But you understand what is being said here is symbology. It's symbolic, okay? It's not that the trees are weeping, but rather the reference is to the foreign kings and the foreign powers that have oppressed the people of Israel. If you remember back in the book of Daniel, there is a story there where Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the great king that ruled and took over the land of Israel and devastated and ruined them, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. In Daniel chapter 4, and in this dream, he saw a great and mighty tree that was cut down and destroyed. And, God, and he went to Daniel and he said, I don't know what's going on. I have this dream. It scared me out to death. And Daniel interprets it and he tells Nebuchadnezzar, he is that tree and he will be cut down because of the pride that is in his heart. So, so when you read these words, the oaks of Bashan or the mighty cedars of, of Lebanon or whatever else like that, you understand that they're oftentimes talking about the kings and the foreign powers that have come to oppress and to destroy Judah and Israel and Jerusalem. And he's telling these kings here, you are going to well, you are going to weep, you are going to lament. And why are they going to lament? Because they are going to be cut down and destroyed. They are going to be ruined and devastated. And the reason they're going to be ruined and devastated is because God is taking care of His people. And we've seen this over and over again in this book as we have looked at the book of Zechariah. There is a reassurance. There is a promise. God will take care of the people of Jerusalem. God will watch over them. As I've said, this was written after the exile, the 70 years of exile. And, and, and they're wondering back in their homeland, will God be with us? Will He watch over us? Or will He forsake us? like he did when we were captivated by the Babylonians, when we were taken into exile. And God reassures them, reminds them, I am going to take care of you, and I am going to destroy the enemies that are coming against you. So he tells the foreign kings, you better weep, you better lament, you better wail, you better mourn, because I am coming after you. So he warns them in these first three verses, but we notice our second point here is this, that God also warns Judah. He warns Judah by way of an illustration. By way of a, an illustration through the prophet Zechariah, he gives a warning to the people of Jerusalem. Okay, we see this warning to the leaders, the kings of foreign nations, but we also see a, a warning issued to the Jews himself. And it's delivered by Zechariah going out and doing things. And again, I've said it before, but this is the reason why I'm so glad that I was born in the 20th century. And I am 
a pastor in 2019 and not way back in the days of the Bible because oftentimes God called these prophets to do things that I really have no interest in doing. All right, Isaiah chapter 20, guess what the prophet Isaiah does? He gets to walk naked through the streets of Jerusalem. All right, we don't need that, okay? I'm just saying. Jeremiah 27, Jeremiah gets to, gets to wear a yoke around his neck, all right? The yoke that you put on a cow or, or an ox to, to use them, guess what? Jeremiah gets to wear this, all right? A little bit different than your, your bling that you normally wear or whatever you kids say these days. Ezekiel 24, Ezekiel loses his wife, she dies, and guess what Ezekiel gets to do? He doesn't get to cry over her. He doesn't get to mourn over her. Okay, now if something happened to me, Mary would be like, about time, finally, whew, thank you. Something happened to her, I would probably just crawl into a hole and die because I don't know what to do. I couldn't function. I couldn't eat, okay? Talking about 30-year-old men that can't eat. I'm older than that. <laughs> Hosea... Marries a prostitute, buys the prostitute again off of the auction block as she leaves him and is sold into slavery. So these guys have it rough. And Zechariah really has pretty good by comparison. He's just told to go out and be a shepherd. That's our point A here this morning. Zechariah is asked to be the shepherd of a flock that is destined for slaughter. Okay, there's a flock over there. It's ready to be killed. There's no use in this flock. Nobody wants to care for it anymore. Let's just sell them and, and we can grind up their meat and we can take their wool and, and do whatever we do with these sheep at this time. These sheep are destined to die. And God says to, to Zechariah there in verse 4, He says, this is what the Lord my God says, shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. The sheep are simply waiting to die. They're ready for auction already. They have no bidder, so here we go. Let's just get rid of them. And Zechariah is told to go and be their shepherd. And notice the reason why in verse 5. It's found there in verse 5. The buyers slaughter them. They go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds don't even spare them. What is Zechariah saying? He's saying there that the reason these sheep are destined for slaughter is because even the ones who own the sheep and the ones who have purchased sheep don't even care about them. Okay, they just send them off and they say, oh, look, who cares about the sheep? I'm just going to trade them in. I'm going to make money off of them. Their own shepherds don't have any care for them. And, and what he's saying here is that the enemies of Judah have decimated the flocks so much there have been no consequence. The leaders of Judah, in fact, were complicit in the people of Israel being turned over to desolation and destruction by the hand of the Babylonians and the Persians. Even their own shepherds and priests and prophets who should have warned the people did nothing about their impending doom. And, and, and the point is made just as these owners of the sheep don't care for them. Zechariah is asked to go and care for them and love them and be their shepherd. Zechariah said, won't you go and love these sheep that no one else cares about? But even though he is asked to shepherd this flock, we see secondly where the flock 
rejects his leadership over them. Flock rejects his leadership in verses 7 to 9. Zechariah asked the shepherd the flock that's doomed for slaughter. But notice in verse 6, God has already rejected them. Verse 6 says, I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone into the hand of their neighbors and their king. They will devastate the land, and I will not rescue anyone from their hands. In other words, Zechariah, go, take the sheep, shepherd them, but I want you to know I've already given up on them. And the reason is found in verses 7 through 9. Zechariah took the sheep and he began to shepherd them. He began to love them and care for them, particularly the oppressed of the flock, we're told. He took two staves and with these two shepherd staves, he called one favor and the other union. And he began to shepherd these sheep and lead these sheep. And notice what happened there. The flock detested me. The flock rejected him. They did not want him. In fact, we're told there, and I skipped this part, but they were told that he even got rid of three shepherds that were, that were watching these flock, that were letting them die. But the sheep looked at him and said, I don't want your leadership. I don't want your rule. I don't want you in my life. And Zechariah says, I'm tired of you. I'm not going to be your shepherd. You want to die, die. You want to perish, perish. You want to be left alone? Fine. Eat each other. I don't care. Zechariah is saying, I shepherded them. I, I, I did the best I could for them. I, I took these staff, one of them called favor, which we're told in verse 10, represents the favor of God upon the nations. The other called union, which represented the union of the northern and southern kingdom. He took them. He did his best for them. But yet they detested his leadership. Said, I'm fine. Go away. Be done. I don't want to be your shepherd anymore. And then notice what happens in our third point here. Zechariah gives up. He gives up on shepherding the sheep. They had rejected him. Tired of the rebellion. Tired of an insolent flock. Tired of sheep that look at him and stick out their tongue at him or whatever. I don't even know what sheep do when they reject you. <laughs> Tired of these people saying to Zechariah, these sheep saying to him, we don't want your care in our lives. Zechariah says, fine, I'm done. Verse 10, he took his staff and called favor and he broke it. He revoked the covenant he had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. Verse 14, he does the second thing or the same thing with the second staff. He broke the second staff called union which was the bond between Judah and Israel. In fact, in verses 12 and 13, we're told that he goes to the owner of these sheep and he says, look, I'm done working. Just give me my pay. And they give him his pay. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Told in one commentary, the shepherds pay here 30 pieces of silver was the price to be paid for a gored slave, G-O-R-E-D, a slave that has been pierced through. For God's shepherd to be evaluated this way is a deliberate insult 
God's response is to throw it to the potter, evidently an act symbolizing rejection and contempt. Notice that this money is thrown to the potter in the house of the Lord. In other words, the 30 pieces of silver was the price of a common slave. Zechariah is told, here you go, here's your pay, this is all you get for taking care of the sheep. And and he's so insulted at their loving and caring and doing his best for the sheep that he just throws the money to the shepherd, the potter's field. Look, I'm done taking care of these sheep. Pay me, get this over with. Here you go. Very little money. It's a sign of this bloody breakup, this ending of negotiations whatever you want to call it, in order just to be done with it. Here's all the money you get. And fourth thing we see here, God asked Zechariah to become a shepherd again, illustrating how God is going to give over the people of Israel back to a worthless shepherd. Okay, in verses 15 to 17, God asked Zechariah to become a shepherd again, illustrating how God is going to give over the people of Israel back to a worthless shepherd. The Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd. All right, he's taken a shepherd robe, he's hung it up, he's took his staffs and he threw them away, sitting in his easy chair, watching the football game, whatever they did back then, God shows up and says, hey, go be a shepherd again. Go be a shepherd, but you're going to be a a different shepherd this time. You're going to be a foolish shepherd. Why? Because I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. God lets the people of Judah know that since they won't surrender to his leading and guiding, he will give them over to shepherds who don't care about him and his rule in their lives. You don't want me? Fine, go. Go be with somebody else. Go let another shepherd lead you. But I want you to know the shepherd's already sized you up. and He's already decided which one of you is going to make a nice veal parmesan. Which one of you is good for lamb chops? And which one of you is good for wool? And he is going to destroy and devastate you. So Zechariah goes out and becomes a shepherd again. Leads the flock to their slaughter and their doom. Now when you hear this story again, we see it played out in the life of Zechariah. And it's not done because God is sitting around thinking, what do I want to tell the people of Jerusalem? Why don't you go out and be a shepherd and I'll get back to you in a week or two. Obviously, there is very clear application and illustration here. Not just for the people of Jerusalem and their rejection of God, but also for us today. There is an illustration and application for our lives. What is that application? Well, first of all, we know Christ is our good shepherd. Christ is our good shepherd. All right, he is the great shepherd for the sheep. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 10, we see this very clearly illustrated. 
John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10 says this, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves or robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Okay, we are told that sheep would often be in a holding area in a little valley or a cleft between two rocks or whatever the case would be, some kind of a a pin or whatever, uh, even a fence, I guess, in ancient times. And at the entrance of the sheep pen would be the shepherds who would sit there, who would lay there, who would stand there and say, I am going to protect and watch over my sheep. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am the door. I am the gate for the sheep. And the only way you're going to come and find peace in life and fullness of life and abundant life is coming through me. If you are outside of my protection, you are going to be killed. The enemy is going to steal from you. He is going to destroy from you. Verses 11 through 13, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. He does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. The illustration is told of two men who are walking in the woods and they knew the bears were roaming around in those woods and one of them looked at him and said, aren't you a little nervous going back here in case a bear comes? And man said, no, not really, because you've got to see, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you, so I think I'm good. You see, that's what the hired hand does. He, he looks around, he, he sees the, the wolf coming in, and he says, you know what? Either I can try to fight the wolf and maybe lose my life, or the wolf can have a sheep, and guess what, sheep? You're on your own. Good luck. Hopefully he's not too hungry, and he'll just eat a few of you. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know my Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock, one shepherd. Shepherd had the distinctive call. The call that everyone knew was his. The call that everyone knew knew was unique and talked about parenting and it's amazing when you're out in the crowd and you hear children and all this other noise and you just kind of tune it out but it seemed like as our kids were young it didn't matter how where kind of a crowd or where we are it always seemed like my ears were attuned to hearing the cry of my children I knew it was them out of all of these thousands of people at a ball game or, or walking around the streets and wherever we were, I knew that it was the cry of my children. Sheep knew the cry of their shepherd. They heard it. Jesus says, they know my voice. Verse 17, the reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, the authority to take it up again. See, the reason why he is the good shepherd is because he willingly lays his life down for us. 
No one made him do it. He did not look down and say, God, if you're really going to make me, fine, I'll go to the cross. No. Jesus willingly said, I will go. As I said at the beginning, the word sheep and shepherd is very synonymous in the Bible as to who we are. Psalm 23, we are told that the Lord is our shepherd. Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. And that's why Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I will lay down my life for the sheep and not the hired hand. And it is only through Him, it is only through the work of Christ that we find and have eternal and abundant life. I found this in a... In another commentary I was reading, it said, The individual sheep in a flock all look alike to the untrained eye. And that is true. I don't know how many zoos I've been to in my life, but every time they've had sheep, they all look alike to me. All right, black nose, black face, whatever they have, white wool. They all look alike to me, whatever. A good shepherd, however, can tell them apart, often because of their defects. In peculiar traits, a man who is tending a large flock explained this to a Christian friend who was surprised at his familiarity with each animal. He said, see that sheep over there? He asked, notice how how it toes in a little bit. The one behind it has a squint. The next one has a patch of wool off its back. Ahead is one with a distinguishing black mark while the one closest to us has a small piece torn out of its ear. Observing all of them, the believer thought, thinks about Christ, the chief shepherd, who knows the individual weaknesses and failings of his flock and watches over the members with discerning love and sympathetic understanding. You see, we are not just a crowd to the Lord. We are not just faces in a crowd, if you would. But God knows and sees each and every one of us intimately. He knows your doubts, your fears, your trials, your conflicts, your defeats. He knows everything about you. You understand it's not just that you're one out of seven and a half or eight billion people or whoever you are. But the Bible tells us every hair on our head is numbered. He knows each of us by name. Psalm 139 tells us how He knows us intimately even when we were a single cell in our mother's womb knows every detail of your life. You're here this morning and you think, I just wish, wish somebody knew what I was going through. I wish the pastor would just talk to me and and I can tell him what I am facing. I wish my own spouse would just open up and, and I could tell him or her what I'm going through. I want you to know you can tell the Lord. You can tell Him. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Tell it to Jesus. Bring all your burdens to the altar. Come and find the healing and the peace that you need. Come and find what you want. There is a good shepherd who is waiting for you to give your life and your, and your problems and your fears, your failures to Him. But you see, we too often are like the sheep of Zechariah's vision, are we not? And that's my last point. Too often we reject. We reject His care in our life. 
We're the ones who walk away and we tell him we don't want his leading and guiding. We are the ones who throw 30 pieces of silver at him. Say, that's all you're worth to me. You recognize those words, don't you, Matthew 26? One of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked him, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So what did they do? They counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. Judas betrays Jesus. He brings it back to the high priest. They rejects. They reject his gift. He throws it to the potter's field. What he's saying is pretty clear, isn't it? I wanted the sheep to listen. I wanted to lead the sheep and protect the sheep. And all that happened was the sheep went their own way. They did their own thing. They refused to listen to me. They became like Judas, who is willing to betray Christ and walk away from Him for nothing. Literally nothing. We have sold Christ to the scribes and Pharisees. We are that Judas who walk away and reject his help in our life. Listen to these verses as I close here this morning and tell me, tell me where you are. Matthew 6, 25 and 26, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And you're sitting here this morning thinking, I wish I would have went into work. If I only had a little extra money, Oh, am I really going to make things meet this month? I mean, we got four more days and the account is so low. God is saying to you, isn't there something more important than what you're going to wear? Isn't there something more important than worrying about whether or not you have food for the next day? But you're sitting there this morning thinking, if only I had a little bit more and God is saying to you, I can take care of you. 1 Peter 5, verse 7, cast all, all your anxiety on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. All your fears, all your worries. I know, I know what the doctor said, bring it to Him. Cast it upon him. I know what the employer said. Bring it to him. Give it to him. Why? Because he cares for you. He's listening to you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, my prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, that I could sit you down and shake you real good and tell you you don't have to be bound with anxiety and fear. Give it to God and let Him bring you peace in your life. 
I don't know how we can bring peace in this situation. I don't either. That's why he says it passes our understanding. I know God gives it. And you don't want it? Walk away and you say, no, thank you, Lord. I'll handle this stress and frustration on my own. Wind up with ulcers. You wind up with stress. You wind up all kinds of tough situations. Psalm 23, I referenced it, but let me close it with these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for You are with me. The rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd stands there and he says, Come. Come. Are you hurting and broken within? Come. Are you overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Come. Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is poured out through the blood Jesus Christ. Listen, there are people here today that are carrying heavy burdens and weights upon you. I know you've talked to me, shared them. You can continue to carry them on your own or you can come find the shepherd waiting to care for you. You can do it by yourself or you can find out that God is faithful and He will be there for you again and again over and over. You can try to rid yourself of your own sin by your good works and your giving and all your moral attitudes, whatever you want to say. You can come to the one who's laid down His life for you. You can carry those burdens or you can come Find a God who is faithful. Watch over you again and again. The good shepherd tells you, come. People of Israel rejected him. It's played out in type. It's fulfilled through the death of Jesus Christ. The Jews rejected Jesus. Judas rejects Jesus. It's also played out over and over in our life. As we reject the care of our good shepherd and his love in our lives. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning. Worship team, if you want to come, we'll get ready to finish our service. There have been times in my 17 years as a parent where my children have rejected me before they were ready. They protested and kicked against me and said, let me down, I'm going to walk. They walked about three steps and fell flat on their face. You know what I did? 
I said, that's it, you're on your own. No, I didn't. I picked them up, kissed their bruises, and I held them till they were ready. How much more, if I am an evil person, how much more does God stand here this morning saying, come, come and find healing. Come and find, God's not rejecting you. God's not going to turn you away. God's not going to kick you out the door and say you've done too much. It's a lie from the enemy, my friend. Rebuke it. Come and find peace and safety. Shelter again today. If you've never given your life to Christ, He looks at you this morning and says, Come. Come and find forgiveness. And I challenge you to do that. I want you to know, Christian friend, He is there watching over you. All you have to do is come back to Him. Receive His help and His grace. Find that grace to help in the time of need. Lord, Help us to do that, we pray. Help us, O God, to find the peace and comfort. Help us to find the love that you offer each and every one of us. Help us to understand that you are there and you are faithful. God, you will be there in our lives each and every step of the way. You are our great shepherd. Let us receive that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our worship team is going to sing a new song this morning. You can sit there where you are, listen to these words. They're so powerful. The song is called, He Will Do It Again. Chorus says these words, Great is your faithfulness. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You have never failed me yet. Some of you need that confidence restored this morning. As they sing these words, I pray that God would restore that. And you would understand that God is